So in the text we read a few minutes ago that John read for us from Acts chapter 2, you have that very famous question that Peter was asked, what shall we do? The old King James, men and brethren, what shall we do? But this morning I want us to consider a little bit different question. It's related, and we're going to spend most of our time in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open there, you're going to have basically the outline in front of you. And it's not, what must I do to be saved? We want to ask this morning and hopefully answer, what must I know to be saved? To do right, a person has to know right, or at least to do right for the right reason. A person has to know right. There has to be a certain level of understanding before I know what it is I need to do and why I need to do what I'm supposed to do. And so this morning, I want us to to go back to sort of a basic level of understanding. And I want us to consider the level of knowledge that someone needs to have in order to become a Christian. And I want to do this for a couple of reasons. The most obvious is, I hope someone this morning will realize that they know enough that they need to become a Christian. And they will see in this very simple lesson this morning what it is that they need to know and then ultimately what they need to do. But I also want to do this this morning because sometimes we who are Christians look back 10, 20, 30 years when we became a Christian and we think, did did I know enough? Because we've grown in our faith so much. We have, we've learned so much more. And we begin to wonder, did I know enough back then when I was 12 or 15 or 20 or 30 when I became a Christian? And I don't want to cause us this morning to doubt those things. Instead, I hope this morning to cement those things. To make us realize that I'm very thankful that I've grown in my knowledge, that I know more now, but that I did know enough when I became a Christian those months or years or even decades ago. What must I know? Well, before we get into that, before we dive into the lesson, I want to spend a few moments by way of introduction, and I hope you'll see why I want to spend some time doing this, especially a little bit later in our lesson. If you remember, our scripture reading came from Acts chapter 2. We sometimes call that chapter something like the birthday of the church. It's the day that the church became on earth in its full form. God had promised in the Old Testament The prophets had talked about it for centuries. Jesus had promised to build it in Matthew chapter 16 and elsewhere. And now, here in Acts chapter 2, you finally see the church in its full form here on the earth. As Peter preached that great sermon in that chapter, the people asked him in verse 37, What shall we do? Now this may seem a bit strange to do, but I want to look at that one question by way of introduction, not in context just of... Acts 2, or even in this one part of Acts 2. I want to look at that one question in context of the entire New Testament. And you'll see why in a moment. The New Testament, 27 books long, breaks down easily into four sections. We can call the first section a revealing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For centuries... All these things in the Old Testament had led forward to something or someone. All these prophets had talked about the one that God was going to send. All these Messiah prophecies, all these Savior prophecies. And in the early parts of a couple of those books, Matthew and Luke and John as well, John himself tells that he is coming. But then in those four, what we call accounts of the gospel, he is revealed. We finally see who it is who all of these things have been speaking about. And so for these four books, we could call them a revealing, a person. Jesus Christ is revealed to us. The second part of the New Testament, we could call a response. 
And this is the book of Acts. Based upon what Christ taught, based upon ultimately what Christ did, His death, His burial, His resurrection, the book of Acts records for us how people were to respond to that, and then the responses they did or did not make, some positively, some negatively. But there is a response to be made to Jesus. We can't just leave Him alone. We can't just act as if He never said anything or never did anything. And so for the book of Acts, you see how people responded to what Christ did, how they became a part of that church. The next part of the New Testament we could call the responsibilities. Romans through Jude, sometimes the book's called the letters or the epistles. Almost exclusively, all of those books are written to people who are already Christians. And those books are simply teaching them what they are to do now. As they grow, as they mature, as they reach out to others. What am I to do? What am I to be as a Christian? Now there are still some passages in these books that talk about how one becomes a Christian. Romans 6 comes to mind. Galatians 3 comes to mind. And there are others. But if you focus on those passages, you'll see that the the emphasis of them is, here's what you have already done. You already are Christians. Know ye not that so many of you as were baptized into Christ, notice the past tense, have put on Christ. And so then that knowledge is to motivate them to teach others about that. Christians have certain responsibilities. And these books remind us of those responsibilities that we are to do in order to please God and be faithful in His kingdom. And then the fourth part of the New Testament we could call a reward. Revelation. The final book in the New Testament encourages Christians to continue in faithfulness no matter what might come. No matter what this world might try to do. They are to remain faithful, Revelation 2.10, unto death. And then they'll receive the reward, the crown of righteousness. And of course, Revelation ends in the last couple of chapters with the most complete and beautiful picture of heaven to be found anywhere in the pages of the Bible. Now, why go through all of that? Was it just to fill a couple of minutes because the sermon's short? No, it wasn't for that reason. It's because I want you to think about where in the context of the New Testament this question is asked of Peter and where his response is given. It is given in that second part, the book of Acts, the part we call the response. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Peter was asked, what shall we do? He did not go into a whole lot of Detail. Sometimes I think people get confused because if we're not careful, we can give the impression that you have to have the New Testament memorized in order to become a Christian. You have to know everything there is to know and then you're ready. Are there certain things in the New Testament that we need to emphasize to those who are Christians? Of course there are. That's, that's Romans through Jude, essentially. Have you ever noticed that Peter, when he was asked, what shall we do? He didn't go into a long discussion about how we are to worship. Now, is that important? Absolutely it is. It's essential. God has revealed to us how it is He desires and commands that we worship Him. But Peter didn't go into that right then. Because that's a responsibility. It's not a response. Peter didn't go into things like gender roles, male leadership in the church. Is that important? Absolutely it is. It's a responsibility of Christians to hold to that pattern for the church that God has laid out. But it's not a response. 
He didn't go into things like the oneness of the church for a couple of reasons. One is there was only one church at the time, and so there wasn't any need to talk about it. But that's also a responsibility, that we are to hold to that pattern of the one church found in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians talks about that and many other places as well. Is that important? Absolutely. It's essential that we hold to that, but it's not part of the response. This question and the answer given by Peter is found very early on in this part of the Bible, part of the New Testament, that we are calling a response. Instead of trying to see that I need to know everything that's found in Scripture or everything that's found in the New Testament, this morning I want us to boil it down. And I want us to use Acts 2 to understand what it is I must know in order to be saved. Part of that is, I'll go ahead and give away the final point, that I do have responsibilities as a Christian. But what do I need to know? I think if we boil it down, there are four things that someone needs to know in order to be saved. Number one, I need to know that my predicament, uh, I need to know, excuse me, my predicament in sin. As Peter preached this great sermon in Acts chapter 2, one thing that becomes very clear is he did not pull any punches. It is a sermon that squarely puts the crucifixion of Jesus on the shoulders of those who are listening. The crescendo of the sermon, the high point of the sermon really, is found in Acts 2 and verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter did not pull any punches. Instead, he made it clear that they were responsible for that horrible act. And it's that crescendo of the sermon that leads them in verse 37 to be cut to the heart. Or prick to the heart. Literally, the phrase can be translated, cut from above. It was almost as if something from heaven pierced their heart as they heard these words and as they came to the realization of the severity or the gravity of what had happened. If I'm going to be saved, I need to know that I have sinned. I need to be willing to admit that I have sinned. I need to understand right from wrong. And I need to realize that as Isaiah put it in the Old Testament, my sin, not anyone else's, my sin, separate me from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Notice that these people in Acts chapter 2 were cut to the heart. They didn't just say, well, I might have made a mistake. They didn't just sort of feel bad in the moment. They were absolutely cut, pierced. Again, the old King James pricked in the heart by what had happened, by the words that they heard, but their reaction to the words. I need to realize also, that that predicament is one I can't get out of on my own. If I'm in a predicament of my own making, and if I've sinned, I am, I, I can't get out of that on my own. But I must be willing to know, and I must know, that I will be lost. And I will be lost forever if I don't admit that my sin is real and is there. What must I know to be saved? I must know my predicament in sin. But number two, I must also know God's purpose through a Savior. Remember the audience to whom Peter is preaching. The sermon is delivered at the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Many of these listeners, he'd already said this in the sermon, had literally been there during the life of Christ. Many of them had physically been there to hear Jesus teach. Many of them have literally witnessed one or more of His miracles. And, as Peter makes clear, many of them had literally been the ones who had called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He, they had been the ones who performed the act, although they didn't actually drive the nails in. They had called for it. 
They have been the ones in charge of what was going on. They have literally been there. But they didn't get it. They did not understand, or in some cases they did not want to understand, that Jesus really was who He claimed to be. That He really was the one that the Old Testament prophets had talked about. That He really was the one who Luke 19 and verse 10 came to seek and save those who were lost. They just didn't get it, or they didn't want to get it, one or the other. And so Peter spends a huge amount of time in this sermon reminding them of the various prophecies concerning Christ and that Jesus had fulfilled them. He is pointing out to them that Jesus was the Savior, that He was the fulfillment of God's plan to save men and women. If they were sinners, and they were, and if they were in need of a Savior, and they were, then what was God's purpose for saving them? It was Jesus Christ. Notice back in Acts chapter 2, Back in the middle of the sermon, verses 22 through 24, Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice there's an emphasis in what Peter says. The life and the works of Jesus were no accident. They were part of, note it in your Bible, the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God. This was not an accident. But also, the death of Jesus was not an accident. The death, burial, and resurrection was not something that just surprised God. The rejection of Jesus was not something that that, that surprised anything as far as the plan goes. That was part of the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Peter makes it clear that the purpose of Christ was to be a Savior. But Peter does not then turn around and speak as if there's an alternate plan. God has one purpose through Jesus and that is to save mankind from sin. There is no other plan than the cross and the resurrection. Jesus had said it Himself already, I am the way, John 14, 6. And He ends that famous statement by saying, no one comes to the Father except by or through Me. Peter would say later in the book of Acts that there is salvation in no other name. We are not told anywhere in the New Testament that we can follow Christ and someone else, or Christ and something else, or we can follow Christ or something or someone else. We can choose to follow someone else, and somebody else can follow Christ. No, we must look to the cross and realize that is our only way. That was God's purpose through a Savior. Thinking that Christ might be one solution among many, that just won't cut it. We cannot partially follow Do you realize the predicament you're in from your sin? But do you also realize that Jesus is the Savior, the answer, the purpose? What must I know to be saved? Number three, I must know His plan of salvation. And notice it's His plan of salvation. Peter's asked that question, what shall we do? I've sometimes thought before about some answers I'm glad Peter did not give. I've mentioned to you before, one of the answers I'm glad he didn't give is, there's nothing you can do. But aren't you also thankful that Peter did not give this answer? Well, it's too complicated, you can't figure it out. 
Aren't you glad He didn't say that? Aren't you glad Peter didn't say, you don't know enough to understand what I'm getting ready to tell you. Instead, Peter gave that great response in verse 38 of Acts 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness, some translations, the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They already knew about Christ. He had said that in in exact words in, in his sermon. And the fact that they were willing to say, what shall we do, showed that they had some faith in what they were hearing and what they had seen now through Christ. So they had faith. And Peter did not say, when they said, what shall we do, he did not say, well, you already believe, that's good enough. No, he gave them a plan of salvation. Repent and be baptized. Repentance implies the first thing that we must know. I am a sinner. And my predicament is such that I'm hopeless without a Savior. Repentance has been defined many ways. The most famous probably is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. That's probably the most common definition that you've heard before. And it's a great way of putting it. Because it's basically saying that I make a U-turn in life. I'm walking this way. I see the world this way. I'm living life this way. But now, because of what I know through Christ, I don't just sort of drift this way some more. I turn and walk that way. I'm going to look at life a different way. I'm going to see life through the eyes of Scripture and through the eyes of Christ. In my opinion, this is the most difficult step in the plan of salvation because what it really means is I am changing everything that I am. I'm no longer even going to look at life the same way. I'm going to look at life through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of Jesus Christ. Peter also said, repent and be baptized. And notice that he said, every one of you needs to do those things. And that for the remission or forgiveness of sins. We'll get to that in a moment. Here's where so many of our religious friends get caught up. They think, man, all you all talk about is baptism. You, you preach baptism, you talk about baptism, you talk about it to death. Listen to me carefully. If you're a guest with us this morning and you've heard us talk about baptism, you're tired of hearing about it, let me, let me make this as clear as I can be. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had said to Peter, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Literally what he said was, whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, when Peter said how to enter the kingdom, how to enter the church, he was not making it up. He was saying what God had told him to say through inspiration. Here in Acts chapter 2, when, when he says, repent and be baptized, he wasn't making it up. It was what God determined. Listen to me carefully. If Peter had said, Repent and you're saved and you can be baptized later. That's what we would preach. If Peter had said, repentance is, is important, you need to be repent and you're saved at that point in time and then later be baptized in order to join a church, that's what we would preach. Because that's the keys that would have opened the kingdom. But when Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, that's what we preach. Because that's the only key that opens the door to the kingdom. Notice that he says it's for the remission, the forgiveness, literally the liberation from your sins. And notice he also says it's in the name or by the authority of Jesus Christ. Both of those are things I need to know. Baptism is not done to join some church. It's not done to please another person. It's not something I do because it's the popular thing going on at camp or the popular thing going on during a gospel meeting. 
In order to be saved, I need to know that I am being baptized for my sins to be washed away, to be liberated from my sins. And I also need to know it's by the authority of Christ. I'm not baptized by the authority of the church. I'm not baptized by the authority of some preacher or the elders or a priest or something like that. I'm baptized for the purpose of the forgiveness of my sins by the authority of Jesus Christ. If you understand the predicament of sin, that Jesus is the Savior, and then His plan of salvation, there's one more thing you need to know. And that is that my part is submission. The Christian life takes effort. But it's effort that's under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Before I become a Christian, I need to know those words of Jesus where He says, I need to count the cost. I need to know that whatever He says, I'm going to be willing to do my best to follow. Am I going to be perfect? No. But I need to willingly submit. In other words, once I have made my response, the book of Acts, I need to be willing to see my responsibilities. Romans through Jude. I need to see what it is that a Christian is to do each and every day of his or her life. I need to see what my responsibility is when we come together to worship. I need to see what my responsibility is when I am a husband, a wife, a parent, a young person, an employer, an employee, a citizen. I need to see what my responsibility is towards reaching the lost. I need to see what my responsibility is for using my talents to the service of God. And on and on and on it goes. Does that mean that from the moment I come up out of the water, I have to sign up for every program and be involved in every work of the church and do them all perfectly? No. No, it doesn't. But it means that as Peter puts it, I must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some people want Christ as Savior but they don't want Him as Lord. And we can't have it both ways. He is my Savior, but He is also my Lord. Does that mean that I'm going to understand everything He requires? No, it doesn't. Does that mean that at times I may even question some things or be confused about it? It, it does. Yeah, there's some, there's some times I, I read passages in the Bible and I, I just don't quite understand it. Or I don't understand why he would, he would ask certain things or require certain things or not require certain things or not ask us certain things. But overarching all of that, what it really means is I am humble enough to submit my will to His will. To say that whatever He requires, even if I don't understand it, even if it's something I need to grow in and mature in, I'm going to do my best to follow. Because every day of my life, I am trying to be more like Him. As Paul would write, I am trying to be more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He is my only hope as a Savior. But He is also the one Lord that I am to follow. Do you know that? Are you willing to submit to that? I think the invitation part of our lesson this morning is pretty obvious, don't you? Do you know, are you willing to admit that you're lost in sin? The predicament is impossible to get out of on your own. Are you willing to admit that Jesus is your only hope as a Savior? That He is God's only plan? But that He loved you enough to die on that cross for you? And to overcome death so you have hope? Of doing the same. Are you willing to admit. That you will follow his plan. Of salvation. 
not trying to make up your own way, but simply saying, I have enough faith that I will turn from sin and repentance and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of my sins. You know, are you willing to admit that I'm going to grow every day? I'm going to do the best I can do to be faithful to whatever God asked me to do through, through the Word, through the Scriptures. And while I'm not perfect, I'm going to try to grow. I'm going to try to mature. I'm going to try to walk as He would have me to walk. I pray there's someone in this room who has heard all these lessons before, has seen so many things in Scripture, maybe says, I just don't understand all of it, but who now knows enough that they're willing to start the journey. Are you ready to start the journey? Are you ready to be saved through the blood of Christ? If so, will you come while we stand and sing to encourage you?